Welcome, welcome, welcome to Walking Through Glass, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Dina C. Brown, founder of the Lead Her Shift Movement, international best-selling author, speaker, and executive coach, affectionately known to my clients as The Catalyst, because I make shift happen. My purpose in life is to inspire, empower, and transform lives. I wake each morning with the mission to help you lead with confidence, speak with influence, and connect strategically by getting out of your own head so you can lead. And by lead, I mean learn, experience, apply, and develop. Walking Through Glass, the podcast, is not about breaking through the glass ceiling. It is about the struggle we face on our journey, walking through the glass, the fear, anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome, limited beliefs, negative self-talk, and you know, other BS belief systems that get in the way of us living the life that we dream and desire. It is time to make the shift to clarity, confidence, and consistency. And I am so happy to have today, joining me in the room, Jen. Jen's passions lie in accompanying, accompanying the people. This is what's so cool. I thought company, people who are changing the world to help them work and live with resilience and better accomplish their purpose. She is founder and CEO of Space Bangkok, a social enterprise that helps those addressing the biggest problems to do their best work by incorporating reflective and resilience elements in leadership development, facilitation, peace building, capacity building, and other work. She is a facilitator. She trains. Again, that resilience piece is so powerful. And with her over 18 years of experience in working on peace and capacity building in Thailand and Southeast Asia, she's a, she's a powerhouse, everybody. And Space, Space Bangkok is a part of the Humanities Thread Community of Practice, which, formed, which was formed to pioneer sustaining peace builders and peace building. Now, I will give you this little heads up, y'all. She's an anthropologist by training. She is fluent in Thai and has lived in Thailand on and off for over 27 years. She is a Southeast Asia specialist. I had to turn the music down for this, y'all, because I don't want you to miss this part. And when she is there, I guarantee you people don't realize that she might not be Thai. 
because she's immersed herself into the culture so that she can truly impact everyone around her. Her essential indulgences include working wood into talking sticks. Oh my God, I got to hear more about that. Composing the odd haiku, gardening and cooking. And if you've ever had Thai food and Thai seasoning and spices, oh my gosh, yum. And she's a dedicated student in the ancient and traditional Thai martial art. Oh my gosh, everybody. Can we give a big hello to Jen? I want to make sure I get this right. Is it Weidman or Weedman? It's Weidman. You got it right the first time. Yes. All right. Jen Weidman, welcome to the show. Come on, tell us a little bit. Okay, I, I'm going to have to know a little bit more about these talking sticks. <laughs> I don't know, I ordered one. <laughs> Look, of all that greatness you do, I'm like, the talking stick. Well, of course. Why wouldn't you want to <laughs> talk about talking sticks? Um, okay, so are you familiar with what a talking stick is? Yes. Okay, so for those of you who aren't, since, you know, in case somebody's going no, uh, basically it's a traditional tool used in a lot of traditional cultures for uh, deep conversation and listening and problem solving and conflict resolution. So the only the person who is holding it can say anything and everyone else must listen, which keeps us from interrupting each other or just listening to respond. And so we can listen to understand a bit more. Um, but the key is that everybody gets their turn. So you can go around, you pass it around, you can pass it around multiple times. So everyone can speak fully and listen fully. Um, and it's interesting because they are used around the world in many different traditional cultures. It's not necessarily localized to one uh, specific continent or something like that. And oftentimes they're traditionally made of wood, they're traditionally made by hand, and they're passed down. So it could be that this particular piece of wood has been witness to all of the problems or sharing or conflict resolution um, that has come upon this community uh, as it's passed down through the generations. So I make talking sticks. Oh, the stories. Now, do you make them and sell them? Can people order them? I don't sell them, actually. Uh, You can order one that we'll just give away. Um, (laughs) It takes some time to make them, just so you know. I know. Uh, I know. I got to, I I had, when you were, when, when I was hearing this, I just literally had an epiphany for something that I have coming up in October. And I thought, this is perfect for my Unstoppable Women's Conference. And when people are sharing their stories around the table and the circle, it would be so powerful to begin to incorporate talking sticks. Yes, for sure. I haven't seen anyone do that. And that's why I was like, wow. Now, I do watch um, Frankie and Grace. (laughs) She has her talking stick all the time. (laughs) And once upon a lifetime ago, we've talked about a lot of parallels that we have in our life is that I lived in Southeast Asia for a number of years. Thailand is one of my favorite um, places um, to visit. And I did try to actually um, bring back a Thai individual with me when I was raising my son. I was trying to get one to come home with me because they're amazingly beautiful people. But more importantly than that, early on in my educational path, I thought I wanted to do cultural anthropology. And so I thought, wow. Mm-hmm. And, real and life. Did you? <laughs> I didn't. No, I studied a lot. But I didn't. I actually was a finance and international business major until I decided that I wanted to graduate in this millennium. But my um, my minor was Southeast Asia. Sweetness. <laughs> That's why I said this is this was kind of kind of spooky. And so I did change my major to economics to graduate the next December because 
I still, as a double major, they were still talking like another 75 units <laughs> to graduate. And I was like, I've been here for three years. Everybody's graduating. But um, I just had heavy um, areas. But I've always loved the study of people and the how and their stories and their unique culture and traditions and all of that. And so I've studied multiple um, religions and cultures, especially, especially native cultures, which you do see um, and ones that have access, especially to wood. So that, that's why I said the talking stick was very familiar. I thought, wow, how cool is this? So a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the process of making talking sticks. So I should say that I, I mean, there's making them to use them because they do a lot of conversations they do a lot of problem solving and conflict resolution. At the same time, uh, the process of making them is a, a reflective practice. It's a resilience practice. It's uh, There's a lot of metaphor in that process. There's a lot of mm. uh, reflection that can happen and mindfulness and centering and many other things that can happen. Um, I've seen people have epiphanies while they've been making them. And uh, wow, it's man. an activity we use a lot with, with groups as well. So there's, and we, I mean, there's a, extended reason that I make talking sticks, not just because they're cool and they're beautiful and they're nice to use, but the process itself is very uh, renewing. Oh, all, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, and plus they're cool, but yeah. absolutely. And that's what I was thinking about is the dialogue that's occurring as we're pulling back layers and we're dealing with, um, I deal a lot with organization and, and change, mm-hmm. <laughs> and change management which of course is another word for oftentimes conflict <laughs> management. And yes. so having a voice and making sure that those that wouldn't necessarily use their voice can be heard. Mm-hmm. And so I was visualizing the power of the talking stick. And one activity that, like I said, I'm doing in the fall actually is with a group of women though. And you know, when you have women and they're talking about various things, you can have certain ones monopolize. Mm-hmm certain elements of that. But I love the fact of, like you said, the creation of Mm -hmm. as the metaphoric and everything that goes into it um, as well. So I just am not as talented in that space. And so (laughs) I was like, hmm, (laughs) yeah, I will be the person buying the talking stick (laughs) because my talking stick would probably look like a yelling twig. So (laughs) nah. I doubt that. <laughs> no, I, I, I do. I, I know it's, I'll, I'll start one way, but my things are always different and I am a creative being, but I, I also, I, I end up seeing and visualizing it my own and so it never looks like anything. Um, like I can go in a class of 25 people and they all paint the same, like those little paint shops, they, 19 of them painted the same picture. <laughs> And mine had like other unicorns in the background. Yes. I can relate to that. And one of the beauties of talking sticks though, is that it's not what you intend to make. It's what the piece of wood that you're working with intends to be. And you have to actually put yourself in the back seat and just commune (laughs) with this uh, piece of wood and see what it wants to be. Where does, what shape does it want to be? What, what size, what does it want to be? Um, and all of those things, how does it, you know, what should you do? It's actually not about you. It's about the stick that I got from the reservation. Mm. And so I have a couple of, like I said, I have a few pieces and I got one from, um, an Aboriginal one from Australia when I visited there Mm -hmm. as well. So I do like, um, cultural art and authentic with stories and all of that. So that's why I said, Oh my gosh. But you know, 
what does that all have to do with walking through glass? It has a lot to do with it. <laughs> is that that diversity in how we show up mm-hmm. <laughs> is really part of our own story and our truth, kind of like what we were talking about before um, the show started about what does that look like and who actually sets the tone, who actually um, defines who we are and getting to the point where you realize that you have the power, the control and the authority. Mm -hmm. And it's also your choice whether you exercise it or not Mm -hmm. um, to be able to do that. And so on walking through glass, we talk about whatever we want to talk about. Number one, (laughs) that, that resonates with us. Um, And there's so many layers to what you were saying. Like I had no idea that we were going to like, and my mind is racing with the power of the talking stick right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, there are so many levels to that. But I do want to um, give you an opportunity to share some of the things that you're working on and working with um, in your work. Because I just gave a snapshot of what you do and a little bit of who you are. But you know, the the point you have the the full um, full body story. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners a little bit more about what you actually do and how you make all of this stuff work. Mm. Um, yeah, you gave a very good comprehensive overview for sure. I think that the key is that we do process facilitation. So mm. anything that needs to be done, uh, my team and I facilitate the process. So whether it's something like strategic planning or problem solving or theory of change or these kinds of things, or whether it's uh, change management or conflict resolution or strengthening, community strengthening, team strengthening, um, all of these things. And at the core of everything that we do is resilience. I have a background of, you know, (laughs) many things. And along the way, uh, I have my own journey with burnout. I have my own experiences with accompanying other people who have their own journeys with burnout and trauma and these sorts of things. Um, And at one point, I just sort of looked at the world and said, we don't have to harm part of humanity to help part of humanity. We can live and work in ways that are doing good and are also taking care of the people who are doing the actual work. Uh, and so everything we do is has that at its core. And we some of the events and, and the things we do focus directly on resilience and resilience building for individuals, for teams, for organizations. Uh, other things, it might be a bit more subtle. Uh, which means the way we show up in facilitation or in events looks a little different than the way others may show up uh, because we're bringing in a different perspective, but it's always there. Wow. Like that's so powerful for you to get to that point and arriving at that point. And one thing that you mentioned is that we've all been through, we've all had a particular journey, whether it was burnout and just kind of getting to a point where I call it my purpose and passion didn't align with my profession anymore. And so I had to make a shift. And with that shift came some other understandings and some opportunities for me to grow and stretch in ways that I had no idea that I would. But I'm so thankful that I did um, have that experience. And one question I decided I wanted to ask every guest that comes on to get their perspective is that metaphorically speaking, when you hear the phrase walking through glass, what does that conjure up for you? For me, it conjures up sort of like when you see people walking on coals, hot coals, but glass. Mm -hmm. So you're barefoot and you're actually walking through glass, Uh, Mm -hmm. which is, I guess, a bit 
literal, it's also metaphorical in many ways. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How do you continue to move forward, make progress, develop, learn, uh, bring light while walking on a substance that is potentially very, very painful uh, and could harm you? Um, it's interesting because it makes me think of a conversation I had recently with a colleague and a friend uh, who was describing walking through, I'm not going to get the, I don't remember the official word, it's, it's, a, it's a South Korean thing, and then they walking through Pebble Gardens. Oh, yeah, so the Pebble Gardens, yeah. Yes. I lived in South Korea for eight years. So, so you know exactly what I'm talking about, walking I through the Pebble Gardens barefoot, <laughs> and how you have to go very slowly and you have to be very intentional and that you have to be mm -hmm. very centered in order to make that journey. And when you can do that at the end, um, it's very renewing and healing and empowering uh, for you mm -hmm. as an individual. So it kind of makes me think of that. It kind of makes me think of how do we walk forward through situations or challenges that could be fine if the glass is laying flat, you could be fine. It could be sticking up, could pierce your skin. It could hurt you. It could be okay. It could be, you know, when, how do we vary our speed? How do we adjust what we're doing and how do we protect ourselves or how do we prepare ourselves to do that? And, and, all of that, like I loved, I was so glad that intuitively I was led to begin to ask that question when I, in season one, and when I first started the show, because I would get the question all the time. What does that mean? Like, where did you get that from? I've never heard that before. And I found myself sharing my interpretation of what walking through glass is. And it's still relevant. And I will share that. But I thought in season two, when I started having more conversations, I thought, how powerful would it be to ask, <laughs> what does it look like for you? Because we're all on the same journey, but we take different paths and we can look at the same thing and have a completely different understanding based upon our own unique experiences. Mm -hmm. And so I knew, and I know clearly my why of where it came from. And I do share that. And I love sharing that. And I have found when I start asking the question, that same thread resonates. And so it's been this wonderful validation, not that I needed validation for my idea. The feedback's always great, but it was powerful to know, okay, great. It isn't just me. It's not just about me. This is something that's real because the way it hit me like a ton of bricks to actually begin to address it was I was working on Destimony, which is the anthology I just released. Um, with a group of eight other amazing authors. And I had worked on Destimony, the journey of me on the road to I Am. And I just had the framework. I had the cover. I had the idea. And and I still didn't have, it didn't feel right to me yet. Mm -hmm. And so I was driving, thinking about a client I was actually going to work with. And I work with a lot of C-suite um, executives on how to build, like you said, build their teams, um, cultivate and equip their leaders and help them communicate and connect, you know, mm -hmm. um, in a powerful way. And I just started to reflect on the conversations and I got another request because I speak and it was like this other woman's conference. And it was another one that said, breaking the glass ceiling and everybody's writing a book on let's break the glass ceiling and break the glass ceiling. And I was sitting there, I said, I'm so sick of hearing that. Not saying it's not valid for those of you out there. I just said, okay, but what I'm hearing is that the women, they're getting the C-suite, they have the office, they have the power position and the paychecks. But when they're having conversations with me, I get to talk to the broken little girl. Mm. 
with the doubts, the fears, the insecurities, the substance of, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're trying to manage not the job and the role, mm-hmm. but their own self-mastery of walking through that glass. Because now the questions are, am I a good mom? Can I still be a wife? Should I make time for my friends? How do I show up? Where's my me time? Am I good? And the good enough wasn't, can I do the job all the time? It was, that's rare. It was, can I still show up the way my family needs me? Mm-hmm. in the way that I need me. And I said, okay, that's walking through the glass. And I was praying about it. And it was like, okay, I don't want to talk about breaking through the glass ceiling. I can teach you how to do a power pose. I can teach you how to communicate. I can teach you the science of a great speech. I could teach you that. I can. But what my sweet spot was, and I kept saying, what do people come to me? And they're talking to me. It's how do I do blank. How do I walk through the glass? And I tell people, this is like you said, this is what I did. I've been there. I'm veteran educator over 25 years. I was a school principal for nearly 10 years of that. I was in a heavy dominated male dominated area. I was in a military environment because I worked for the department of defense. I literally had to walk on the cold. And even when, cause I was stationed in Korea, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything else. And I had to create what I call these diva hacks. And then in the midst of that, dealing with a failing marriage Mm -hmm. and the road of single parenthood and being a boy mom and dealing with all of my emotions, but I had to go to work and show up a hundred percent and leave everything else outside, but it was still turning inside of me. And just like, and it reminded me, and I got a clear visual when I was driving, I pulled over is that, I remember um, being about eight and going and getting some milk or juice in the middle of the night. And of course, you don't want to turn the lights on because you're not supposed to be up. I mean, I'm talking about in my house. Now kids are free flow now. And I dropped the glass. And we weren't supposed to drink from glass, supposed to drink from plastic cups because kids drink from plastic cups. But I broke the glass. Mm. And I tried to sweep it all up, right? And, you know, I'm like, I can't walk in there with no shoes, but I didn't think about it. And the next morning I walked in there, I thought I got all the glass up and a little small shard of glass got in my foot and we couldn't find it and get it out. It was very, very painful. Like you said, and my mom was like, you know, what happened? And I had to tell her of course about the glass, but trying to get it out was really tough. And it kept, I kept walking on it cause I was trying to hide that I stepped on glass <laughs> And it kept going further inside. And it wasn't until it started to turn a different color because it was getting infected that we had to open up. It formed that little boil over it mm-hmm. and we had to let it all out. And so I know this might be a little graphic or a little visual, but I want people to understand that those, like you so eloquently put, those little shards, those little things that are very painful <laughs> mm-hmm. and they, they prick you, they poke you and they cut you, but you still have to keep moving. And so how do we deal with that? What what are the tools? And to me, that's nothing but resiliency, even mm-hmm. to be honest with you. That's the core of resiliency. How do I still level up from this and use this opportunity to grow into my next grader um, and to do that? And so that's what that's how the walking through glass piece. And each time I share this, more pieces of the story. So y'all got to go catch the ep- other episodes too, is that I get to share it because I also get a new awareness of what it means to me in my right now, mm-hmm. you know, as well. So, and that's why I said, I love the way that you shared and the work that you do. So how do we, how do we begin to 
become more resilient? How do we begin to utilize the practices and principles um, in our own day-to-day life? Um, What would you recommend? There could be a really long answer to that question. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let me try to make it less long. Um, For me, and especially as we experience uh, individually, organizationally, locally, regionally, globally, challenging times, times of upheaval, um, new crises that come along that nobody can foresee, I think it's even more and more and more important uh, that we do work on our own resilience. So basically, I like to think of resilience as a spectrum, right? So there's most people are familiar with self-care now, right? Like I had a bad day. Let me go binge watch Netflix or let me go do something. Um, (laughs) We all do that. And that's important. And for me, that's sort of like the emergency room, right? That's the band-aids, the emergency room. I cut myself. I have to, you know, fix that. But then you keep going to the emergency room for a chronic problem. It stops working. And that doesn't actually help your chronic problem. So on the other side is resilience practice, which is more like long-term care or preventative care, if you want to do with a medical analogy. And it's a spectrum, right? There's not, it's, not, it's not binary. And what activities or approaches may be on different parts of the spectrum for different people uh, are different. So what is uh, self-care for me is resilience practice for you and vice versa. Right. So I think part of it is understanding that moving beyond self-care and thinking about the kinds of things you can put in your life, way you live your life, the patterns of your life that can help you to build your own resilience. And then the question is, well, what are we talking about when we talk about resilience? Um, For me, it's a lot about how to stoke the fire, feed your inner spark and creativity to move forward and do what you're going to do. So for many of us, if you've been through difficult times, you've been through burnout or depression or grief, you may have experienced uh, something where you feel like you're just dead inside and you actually have no more spark left. There's no creativity. There's nothing. There's no nothing, no oomph, nothing. How do you maintain that? How do you rekindle that? How do you feed that ongoing? Even when you're going through tough times, even when you're going through stressful things, even when you're going through difficult things, um, even when challenges come your way, you're not sure if you can conquer. How do you feed that inner force so that you can keep moving forward and you can keep doing what you're doing? Um, and there's, you know, there's many different approaches and things to do. It's a lot about engaging creativity, engaging movement and nature and all of these things, talking stick making. Um, some people I know it's sweeping the floor. Some people it's cleaning. Some people it's so many things that you can do, but I think it's partly also the intentionality of saying, I'm going to put this in my day. I'm going to put these things in my life to build my resilience so that when difficulties come along, I'm better prepared to walk through them Mm -hmm. and come out on the other side and keep going, which I think oftentimes we, we're more in the emergency room mode. I'm in trouble now. Let me do something. I feel better. I can stop. It's not about stopping. It's about continuing to design how you're living your life, how you're approaching your life in such a way that can help you build that resilience on an ongoing wow. manner. It's, I, I love that. And one of my biggest ahas when you just said that was that moving beyond self-care. <laughs> yep. Like moving beyond self-care. We all need self-care, but it's not the end. 
it's like, wow, that's deep. And I'm just like, I'm sitting in that for a minute. It was like moving beyond self-care, but you have to start somewhere, start where you're at, you know, that's that other power piece because it's almost just that shift from surviving to thriving. Yes. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) You know, to do that. And one of the things I started to share with people um, on my journey to even getting to self-care is I say, I'm going to put the me back in time. And here's what it looks like. And it's not just, you know, giving, granting myself or to have one, you know, permission to do this one thing. It's really have giving myself the opportunity to really live, thrive and experience abundance unapologetically. (laughs) And um, I don't know if that is moving or shifting beyond self-care. I'll have to probably sit on it a little bit more because I'm going to, I want to, I will probably sit and explore that. Um, a little bit more because what for me and for many of us, it was just getting to Mm self-care. So what's, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know. When I say, I just love that. Like, I'm just like, Hmm. Okay. Moving past self-care, you know, um, and putting that into words and actions and deeds is so powerful. Mm -hmm. I think some people think it has to be something really big or right. it has to be big in order to have big impact or be transformative, but that's not true. Oftentimes mm-hmm. that's a little tiny thing. So uh, you read earlier that I, I write haiku. It's true. I write haiku and uh, I've challenged myself last year. I challenged myself to write a haiku a day for a year. I'm now on year two. Wow. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stop. So basically it's and it's a practice, right? And this is what I mean by it doesn't have to be big. Haiku is very easy. It's five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. As far as, it doesn't take a long time. It's not super complicated. Um, but the point is noticing. And the point is to pay attention in those moments throughout your day that pull you up short because they're beautiful or they're amazing somehow, right? It something you see, something you hear, something someone does that really touches you, or you think, oh, look at that. Usually we just run on by those uh, moments in life. But how can we pause and just experience that for a couple moments. Oftentimes throughout my day, if I come across something like that, maybe I'll take a photo. Uh, mm-hmm. If I can't haiku right at that moment, uh, if I can, it's brilliant if you can write a haiku right at that moment, but oftentimes I can't. And then at the end of the day, before I go to sleep, I'll think back on my day and I'll think about what was this day about? What were those moments in my day? What was the salient points? The beauty of haiku is that you have to embrace the full complexity and walk into the simplicity on the other side. So how can I put that into a haiku, whether it's one moment, whether it's a whole day impression, what is it? But what it gives me is, you know, two to five minutes a day of just reflection. It's impossible to write a haiku if you're thinking about something else. It's impossible to do it if you're distracted by something else. You can't be watching TV. You can't be doing anything but writing that haiku. So in it's, it's basically two to five minutes of just reflective mindfulness in the day. And it's amazing the kind of difference that that makes. There's appreciation of these moments, these bright moments of, in the day, but there's also just those moments of stillness. And sometimes it's that simple. It doesn't have to be huge. No, it really doesn't have to be huge, like you said. And for me, 
as a former English teacher, poetry, April being um, National Poetry Month, was always my favorite. And I would actually take them through all the various, you know, um, styles that were there. And um, it's been a while, you know, since I've actually been in the classroom, but haikus are beautiful. And that's why they're written a lot about nature and things that you see and quick experiences and, and short emotions. But you do have to be present, you know, to do that. And, and, and when you do, I, I was sitting there going, there's three things. And this is what I say all the time that you need in order to really live the life you dream and desire. You need to have clarity, you need to have confidence, and you need to have consistency. And usually the consistency portion is where many of us have to work on. And just like you, that challenge for yourself, the haiku a day, that's what started with me on um, my social media to do truth serums. Mm. And at first it started up, okay, I'm going to do it for the month of January to build that consistency muscle. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care what is going on. I need to do it. And even if it's 1159, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I know. You will do it. You're going to do it and not, you know, have, you don't have an out to do it. So unless for some reason, technologically, everything went kaput then you still write it. I still write it in a notebook and then I'll post it later. And so I start doing that and it's turned into a whole series and, and the power of our truth and the power of our consistency is compounded because it impacts other people's lives. And one day I missed because I was traveling, so I couldn't get, you know, to post and I didn't have um, the platform to post it on. And I got inboxes of, you know what? I really look forward to your daily truth serum. What? You were mm. paying attention, you know, because mm-hmm. it was for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yet when we really um, do begin to work on self, then we have an opportunity to exponentially impact others. If we're all working on to be the very best version of ourselves and we're worrying about ourselves in that capacity, then what it does is that overflow leads to the greater good because now we're putting the best version of us forward. Um, and that's just something that I... I subscribe to, and I, I've, I've realized that I've gotten, I'm getting better at, because now I serve for my overflow. I always start, how can I serve? How can I support? Because I'm not tired. I've, I've shifted past self-care, so maybe I am there. I, I'm, I've shifted past that. I actually do have the bandwidth to support you, <laughs> um, to be able to do what you need me to do to help you do what needs to be done for the greater good. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wow, that's pretty powerful. I mean, we've kind of, that's, I mean, I'm just like, wow, that's just such amazing thoughts. Now, as we begin to kind of pull it, you know, and there's so much, like you said, you can go longer and deeper and, and et cetera, but you gave such a powerful um, explanation about what resilience is. What if you can give our listeners just one thing, a one key takeaway, a golden nugget, the golden egg that they can implement like right now, tonight, when they hear it today, immediately in order to become more resilient or identify the areas that may need (laughs) to to have some, a little bit more resilient. I don't know. I'm thinking about like Botox and collagen. Where do I need to inject (laughs) some resilience (laughs) into my life? Well, luckily, the source of resilience doesn't need to be injected because you already have it inside of you. <laughs> so you've already got it. That's it's free, you know. 
think I think a couple things. I think the first thing to start with is that oftentimes the journey to build your own resilience is a reflective one, which means yes, looking inside yourself, yes, sitting with difficult things, um, dealing with them, realizing they're there, and doing something with that. Uh, it's mm-hmm. so. I guess my my one thought about that is don't be scared. Many of us mm. are afraid of reflection and we're afraid of sitting still with ourselves. We're afraid of what we may find. We're afraid that we may not like ourselves. We're afraid that we might not approve of what we've been doing or what we've encountered. We're afraid we can't deal with things that are coming our way. So I think the first step is don't be afraid. You can, you can, it's, it's the best journey that you will ever take. It's also one of the most difficult, but that doesn't mean it should be feared. And then the first steps of that journey are walking it anyway, even if you're afraid, that's okay. Uh, it could be uncomfortable, that's okay. And then finding, like we were talking about, just those little moments. Can you find two to five minutes in your day, at any time of your day, when you just, you, where you can reflect, you can have some mindfulness, you can just be in your little you bubble inside of yourself and not be distracted by anything else or thinking about anything else. And some people are thinking there's so many distractions in my life. It's true. It is true. (laughs) It's true. I get it. Two to five minutes a day. Start there, find it somewhere and start there. But you also have the power to remove the same way that you have the power to be distracted. You also have the power to not let it be a distraction. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's the piece of, I couldn't help it. Yeah, you could. Everything's a choice. Yeah, you could. We just like to say we didn't have an opportunity or we didn't have the choice or we were unable to. And so I, like I said, I love all of those pieces. And before I do my final thought, where could people find more information about your work, what you are doing this you know, Space Bangkok, you know, even the concept of peace building, um, where could they find more information? For sure. So easily on our website, space-bangkok.com, on our social media, uh, which is space BKK on all social media. Uh, And happy to have conversations with people. If people are curious about things or want to know more about what we do, we're happy to have conversations. Uh, We've got information up We've got regular updates and things on social media about what we're up to and what we're doing and the elements that go into that. So awesome. This has been like so refreshing and so informative. Like, I'm like, wow, I want to go to like space camp school. (laughs) (laughs) You are most welcome. I know. As soon as we can travel, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite places. As soon as the travel bans are lifted, I am definitely hitting the friendly skies um, again. But I do honestly want to thank all of the listeners. I want to thank you for listening to Walking Through Glass and that there was so much richness and so much so much goodness, I guess, that came from this conversation that you're definitely going to want to hit repeat, uh, replay. And there's some definitely tweetables that are in there as well. And I will be sure to include the details about how to reach out Um to make sure that you can connect with Jen in the comment section. And I'd love to hear what were your thoughts? What do you think about resilience? Um, Where are you at in in your journey um, from making the shift from self-care, you know, and beyond um, from surviving, you know, to even thriving to 
total consciousness, you know, depending on what level you want to go to. Um, but I do want to leave you with this final thought is that to know that you have the power and the authority to transform your situation. So get clear about what you really want, which will lead to you being confident about who you are called to be and allow you to stay consistent on how you are called to serve. And so until next time, please keep embracing the journey. We are in this together. So with that, later. Bye-bye.